I don't need help. I'm not in an abusive relationship. This is just how it is for us. It's a lie we tell ourselves, one that many in abusive relationships repeat until they believe it. But there's hope. Welcome to I'm Not In An Abusive Relationship, a podcast about surviving domestic and sexual violence. This show is about hope. You will hear from survivors of abuse, and their stories may sound familiar. They may even inspire hope. Our goal is to connect with others in these toxic relationships to offer that hope, and with supporters of our mission, anyone willing to help get rid of abuse in our culture. We also talk with the experts in the field, from the officers on the front lines of domestic abuse calls to the therapists and advocates helping survivors navigate this complicated road of recovery. If you're in need of help, please visit our website or call our 24-7 hotline, 800-828-2023. And if this is an emergency and you need help immediately, please call 911. And welcome back to I'm Not In An Abusive Relationship. I'm your host for this episode. My name is Dan. And uh, I have a special guest today. That we're going to cover some some pretty deep subject, and I'm but I'm really excited about it. Um, and so let me let me tell you who our guest is. Her name is Dr. Barbara House, and for the last 25 years, she's been working with uh, overburdened families and individuals, and the multiple systems they're involved with, oftentimes, including education, criminal justice, child welfare, and mental and physical healthcare systems. Uh, she has a master's degree in social work. She's a licensed clinical and macro level social worker, and she has a PhD in interdisciplinary health sciences with a research focus on child and family well-being. And that's where we will concentrate today. Dr. Howes is a program coordinator for a continuum of problem-solving courts in Cass and St. Joseph counties. She's also a professor for the Western Michigan University School of Social Work and serves as a faculty member for the U.S. Department of Justice National Association of Drug Court Professionals. It's not like you sleep or anything, is it, Dr. Dr. House? <laughs> no, not often. <laughs> <laughs> she also, you also understand present at the local, regional, state, and national levels on topics like creating a trauma-informed system of care for individuals and families. And again, that's what we're going to be talking about. Um, Plus, you've also, you're an accomplished grant writer, procuring about $20 million of funding over the past 20 years for services and programming for individuals and families in CAS and St. Joseph County's Michigan. So Dr. House, thank you so much for making time for this show. Thanks for having me. So today we are talking about th this idea that came up in conversations and talking about the podcast and what kind of resources we can have. And it's this need for coordinated interdisciplinary responses to address the the risks and needs of all family members impacted by domestic violence. And that sounds like such a huge, huge undertaking. So let's start kind of small, maybe. Dr. House, who do you see domestic violence impacting, first of all? Well, um, I mean, I think that, you know, the, the obvious people that it impacts are the ones like in that moment. So, you know, the, the victim, the perpetrator, any witness, you know, um, that I think is, so it's kind of like, if you think of like a, 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 a circle that that's the center of the circle, mm -hmm. and then you go to the next, you know, the peripheral, there's, you know, there's more, there's extended family members, there's, um, neighbors. So this is, can be, you know, sometimes it's, it's not only domestic violence, but it's actually community violence. Um, there are all the systems in the next circle that, um, 
and that the family and the and the community and the the victim and the perpetrator all are will interact with um, at any given time. Um, you know, whether it's the children going to school the next day after an incident, um, and then you know if the educators aren't informed um, or aren't a, you know don't have an awareness or the resources that they need. Sure, there may be some behavioral problems, or maybe the child does fall asleep, or you know, maybe the child does have an upset stomach, um, or there maybe there's you know there's interaction with the medical community, or you know, in the legal community, there's law enforcement, there's the courts, there's probation, parole, um, the social services, the mental health, um, um, all of those practitioners and, and all of the people that work in those systems that take that first call from someone. So people just answering the phone, you know, that those are all layers that, you know, I see domestic violence affecting. Mm-hmm. And something I, I wrote down this because it struck me, you said domestic violence, and then you almost corrected yourself or added to it community violence. What happens, quote, behind closed doors, which is maybe what so many people have said over the years, why we don't get involved because it's, well, it's our neighbor. It really is a community epidemic, it sounds like. Well, it, you know, it really is. If you think about, I mean, it's violence and violence is violence, whether you're related to someone or in a relationship with them or not. Um, you know, if it's if it's in public or not in public, if it is, a, you know, just a, a community member, if it is a law enforcement officer, you know, whoever it is um, involved in as the victim or the perpetrator, it's violence that's happening in our community. So, you know, I really view it as a, as a community issue, as a public health issue. Mm-hmm. And, and so we, so we started there, what is domestic violence and how is it impacting our community and what is it, wh- who is it impacting? So then Dr. House, explain to the listeners, if you would, then what you do and who you do that for, like, what is your, I mean, what is your job? All these things that are read off, you do a lot. Yeah, but what is your what is your direct connection to to domestic violence um, victims and, and everybody involved? Yeah, my direct connection in in my role as um, coordinator in the problem solving courts, and and just to kind of even back up one step, a problem solving court is is a whole different way of doing business. It's it um, integrates um, intensive treatment um, with intensive supervision. It's the two of those working together hand in hand. And it's based on a theory um, called therapeutic jurisprudence, which loosely translates to using the law for healing purposes. It's pretty um, non-traditional approach, um, but there's there's quite a bit of research that shows that um, you know when when we coordinate across disciplines, across systems. Um, and we use evidence-based practices that our outcomes improve instead, you know, compared to when we work in our own separate silos and, and do things that we think might or might not help. Um, you know, so it's very coordinated and it's based on a lot of research. So my particular um, role, one of my roles is that I will oftentimes um, come in at the point where there has been um, an arrest and um, I will talk with the um, interview, actually the offender 
Um, and um, part of that assessment then that I do is looking at, um, you know, the family and, and any issues, any problems. And there's always, I mean, families are hard. They're hard work for all of us. And especially in the middle of a pandemic, you know, it's incredibly stressful. Um, and so I, I talk with them about um, not only their current family, but their family of origin. Um, what, you know, what have they witnessed? What have they experienced? And, um, you know, kind of looking at that multi-generational pattern. Hmm. And then um, I make recommendations um, that are based, that are evidence-based recommendation as to um, programming, not only for the offender, but to really take a family-centered approach um, and make recommendations of, um, you know, possible resources for the offender's families, um, children. And so that's one level of the work. So there's kind of that, there's this, there's two levels that I, I focus at. And one is that individual family um, kind of a micro level. And then the other level that I focus um, on is the system level, the intervention that um, is really needed at the system level to help all of us that are working in the systems um, learn and um, learn how to provide trauma-informed responses um, to all of the people that we are serving. Um, and so, and to, to realize too, that we, we don't know, um, that people have experienced the trauma of domestic violence or other traumas. So it's better to take kind of a, um, a universal precaution approach. So when you think about like in the medical field, we're taught to, or just in, in general, we're taught to, um, you know, if there's, if you come in contact with bodily fluids, we always assume someone may be infected with a com communicable disease. So, you know, we wear gloves, we wear masks, um, those kinds of things. It's the same with trauma, with emotional trauma. It's safer for us and for them to just assume they might be have been exposed to that. And our response, so that we don't make it worse, is should be a trauma informed response in um, you know in how we how we talk with them you know what biases we bring to the to the table and how you know we respond to them in the future mm -hmm. so kind of the, the two levels that I focus my work on um, in terms of at the system really doing a lot of training on tra trauma informed responses and and training and effort really a lot of work in helping people to work across systems and to give up, you know, um, to work through territorial and turf issues and um, to realize that, you know, these, this issue is crossing all the boundaries. It's crossing all the discipline boundaries, it's crossing, crossing all the systemic boundaries as well. Yeah. So when you, when we were talking about courts, you, you taught problem solving courts is what you called it, right? Correct. Is that part of what we typically think of as air quotes, the courts? Is it no. connected? Is it totally outside of it? How does that connect? Yeah, it's connected. It's, um, it's a non-adversarial approach. Um, and so it is, um, you know, the focus in, in the focus in many problem solving courts is um, substance use and drug related crime and, and taking the approach from a public health perspective on, um, you know, how can we address this um, and get better outcomes and, and kind of, you know, stop or slow down the revolving door 
other problem-solving courts, however, there are, um, across the nation, there are domestic violence um, problem-solving courts, too, that take an approach to, um, okay, let's look at everybody involved, and it, and this isn't just an, uh, you know, let's, let's, you know, doing this traditional, okay, send the perpetrator to a batterer's group, you know, send the victims, maybe, you know, they have um, a couple of options, certainly our domestic violence, um, our DASIS um, organization in the community, you know, they have supports for them as well. And we work closely with them when I do come across um, any of the participants in the courts I work with. When there is domestic violence, current, past, um, you know, whether it's immediate family or the, even the, the offender has been victim, the victim and then later victimized, you know, looking at what can we do um, what are the, you know, the interventions we can provide that can, that can stop the cycle um, and then prevent that's that, you know, provide primary prevention for future generations? Um, and what do we need to look at within the system that may inadvertently perpetuate the cycle as well of domestic and community violence? And so you're working with the problem-solving courts, which are connected to, but outside of the, the general courts. How, how is our system addressing the needs of those survivors of abuse, whatever kind of abuse? Um, from my perspective, I think that, you know, what I see a lot is that the kind of the knee-jerk response is to give them the phone number, their DASIS you know, maybe a card and, and people are done, you know, they kind of step out. Um, that's kind of what I see. Um, and, and I think that the real need is to definitely provide that information and that resource, but then to offer some support too, and to help. So it's scary to, you know, to get involved with DASIS or any other organization or DHS or, you know, that they're there to help. But when you come in as a consumer, you know, it's all of the, the very private information of your, of your life that is now, you know, kind of being, feels, can, it, you can feel very vulnerable. Mm -hmm. And so we need to make more efforts than just going beyond just giving the information. To also even looking at some of the practical concrete issues, do they have a way to contact them safely? Um, do they have transportation? Do they have, you know, some basic needs um, that, or assistance with basic needs so that then they can focus on not only their physical safety, but their emotional safety as well? Mm. Um, go ahead. No, 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 I'm sorry. That's all right. Um, so, so how do we make that happen then? This sounds like it's, you know, a lot of work, maybe it takes some financial support. It takes training. Like, where do we start with that? Yeah, it is. It's, um, I mean, when you, when you're looking at any type of, you know, global issue or public health issue, it is, it's very large. And I think it's so much easier for us to blame the victim or to just think I did my part. I gave the victim the card. If they don't call, that's on them, you know, or they take each other back or they go back or they don't leave, you know, that's on them. Or, you know, I think that it's easy to stop at that point. So, you know, if you think, okay, if, if for example, from, from my perspective and in my situation, if I suspect a child um, 
you know, has been abused or neglected, including, you know, like being part of the, the domestic violence or witnessing it. If I were, you know, and I'm a mandated reporter, if I were to report that, then, you know, it does become, it is, and to some extent, it is out of my hands in, in terms of what happens, um, how the, the domestic or the DHHS will respond. But the other piece is that I can also, I mean, I can do things to be supportive through that process too, to the, you know, to the child or to the family. Um, but I think that, you know, overall the approach, it has to be comprehensive. It has to address both of those two levels that I talked about, just the real basic concrete immediate issues for the family and the children involved. And then at the, the secondary, the macro level, we really need um, to be, you know, as, as people that are involved in all, every single system that the children and the families come into contact with. We need more education. We need more information. We need um, resources on what do we do or who do we call, or even, you know, even if we don't know the, the specific things that might be helpful, you know, to be able to, um, to know, to know what we don't know, like to know what we don't know is the place to start and then to build from there. Um, but it is, it's huge and it, it needs, um, it's a huge problem and we need a huge response. Who's, who's getting it right? You mentioned earlier that there are places around the country that have, you know, when problem solving courts, domestic violence type court, almost like a, um, like the drug court kind of a thing. Mm-hmm. Who, who out there, whether it's in our own community or other communities, is getting it right when it comes to this interdisciplinary connection of helping uh, victims? I think um, one of the, um, it's called the Center for Court Innovation. Um, and on their website, they actually, um, they're looking at innovative um, approaches and responses. And, and they're looking at those across the country. And I don't know that anyone is getting it 100%. <laughs> But there's definitely efforts, you know, and they're creative efforts. Um, and I know that even locally, um, that there are with the, um, the outreach advocates um, from DASIS that work, you know, very closely with law enforcement. Um, I think, you know, that's a that's a great um, example of doing something right, you know, that. Um, that is a, a, a kind of a, you know, really a nice warm handoff when it between law enforcement um, to DASIS and, you know, sometimes they're, they're even at the scene or soon after, or they're, you know, they have advocates in the prosecutor's office that are helping people, you know, navigate that legal system, which is very foreign and, and can be re-traumatizing, mm-hmm. you know, so I think that there's, there's, there's places that are doing some things right there are pieces that we are doing right. Um, and I think that's all a good place to start. But the Center for Court Innovation has a great deal of information um, you know, on just a variety of creative things that are going on. Center for Court Innovation? Yes. Okay, I'll look them up. I'm curious about that. Dr. House, what do you want the average listener to know? Whether they're a supporter, of these efforts, whether they're someone who finds themselves in that situation, whether they're facing court, whatever that looks like, your average listener, what's your biggest thing you want them to walk away with after hearing from you? 
I guess that regardless of if, you know, you're in, regardless of the situation that each person is in personally, whether they, they have been fortunate enough to be unaffected by domestic violence throughout their life or community violence, um, or whether they've been in the midst of it and whether it was, you know, a multi-generational um, pattern in their family, um, is to realize that, um, that all of us, you know, I look at it and, and think we're all in recovery from something, um, you know, and or we need help recovering from something. And that when we first start out in this process, we're all infants in that recovery process. And as an infant, we need a whole bunch of help. Um, you know, so initially we do need a whole bunch of help. And, and then as, you know, infants learn and grow every single day, we all need to do that as well and be open to learning and growing. Um, and to then to learn to do things differently. Um, and, and when I say that, you know, it sounds so easy. And, I, and when I hear people that will say, why, you know, why does this person keep going back to that, you know, that person that, who's violent to them? Um, change is very, very difficult. And it's changed. There's a process of change that we all go through in our lives. And, you know, I think that I guess when I think about the pandemic situation, we've all really had to change a lot of things, you know, in the past 10, 11 months. Mm. I don't think it's been really pretty for all of us at, you know, every moment and every step of the way. I think we've all been pretty resistant and gotten pretty angry, wanted to go back to the way things were. Um, you know, there've been, you know, used some really unhealthy coping skills. Um, so the process of change is difficult for the people um, that are receiving services from the system, whether they're not even there yet to receive the services, but also the process of change for the people in the system is incredibly difficult. Um, there's, a, there's always this, there's a resistance to change that's inherent in any system. Um, to maintain a status quo is oftentimes an inherent characteristic of a system, mm-hmm. you know, so to, to be patient with ourselves and with others, but not to be um, complacent. Patient, but not complacent. So when we first started talking, we, 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 I wanted to explore this idea of um, coordinated interdisciplinary responses to address needs and risks and everything to do with family members who are impacted by domestic violence. Um, you've mentioned that, you know, n- maybe no one's getting hundred percent right, but there are a lot of efforts, which is great, uh, local and national. We just talked about, you know, uh, having patience with yourself, but not complacence. If we could ma- wave a magic wand and say, here's how it looks. Here's the perfect situation. What does that look like from where you sit, Dr. House? I guess, um, you know, I would be looking at, um, you know, if I woke up tomorrow and the miracle had occurred, um, these are the things I see that would, would be in place or would have needed to be in place for the miracle to have happened. Um, there's, a, there's a need for primary prevention services, and that's just providing, that's before there's been a problem for those people who have not been affected by domestic violence. It's providing education and information um, about healthy relationships, what do those look like, what are some unhealthy signs in a relationship, and how do you address those, and 
Um, and that starts with, you know, with um, parenting and with our, you know, in our families from birth on up. So that, you know, since you gave me a magic wand, I'm saying that, all right, it's um, happening, you know, for all families everywhere from birth on. Um, that there's information, there's education, there's mo- that we're modeling what is a healthy relationship because, um, you know, even when we as parents are in an unhealthy relationship, we're always a role model, whether it's a positive or negative one, but we don't get to choose whether or not we are a role model. Mm-hmm. I would look at that primary prevention piece. And then the next part would be secondary prevention is kind of looking at, okay, maybe we're in the early stages here. Um, let's do universal screening um, that anyone can take anytime for free to say, you know, how healthy is this relationship or this situation? How safe is it? Um, you know, and so when we go in for a screening, you know, for in, you know, at a med- for a medical procedure, you know, sometimes they ask us two or three questions. If you answer yes to one, they move you to the next step. They provide you information, resources. Um, and, you know, if you don't answer yes to any, you know, then you might be screened again at another time. Um, and so looking at that, that secondary prevention of that screening and referral process to help in the early stages before things escalate to violence, um, you know, and to provide um, assistance to all the people that, um, you know, are involved. And then I guess that the the final one would be the tertiary prevention, which is really kind of an after the fact, it's happened, now what? You know, how can we um, provide support services, provide services for healing um, and for safety? And then interestingly enough, that tertiary prevention that is an after the fact intervention actually then becomes primary prevention for the future generations. So if we can, there's no, we don't, what we don't want to do is get to the point where we say, oh, it's too late. You know, it's over. It'll never change. It'll always be here. Um, You know, we do have, you know, on on a person to person basis, we have opportunities, you know, frequently to help people to make changes in their lives that will impact their children's lives, you know, and it's up to us if, you know, if we want to help them do that um, or if they are wanting help and then what the, you know, the outcomes will look like. Mm. We talk about primary, secondary, and tertiary prevention, all three of those on both levels, on that micro level at the family individual, and then also at the macro level of all of those systems, the education, the medical, the legal, you know, the mental health, the physical health care, you know, all of those at both of those levels for all of those people. So we need some individual work and a lot of systemic work, both. Agreed. Yeah. Is there anything that I didn't ask you about? You want to make sure listeners really take in when it comes to this giant issue that faces us? <clears throat> Excuse me. That's okay. You know, I think it's, um, I guess what I would kind of leave you with is just um, an example of um, uh, a young mom I was working with many years ago. And um, she was 
she had been in a, a very relate very um violent relationship and um and i was working with her um through a program called um wraparound which is it crosses disciplines it crosses systems it helps um you know work so it works on the system level but also the family and the individual level um, and so we were talking about, um, you know, in terms of family and what kinds of supports did she have? And we ended up meeting with both with her, her mother and her grandmother. And um, in that session, they were the mom and the grandmother were just very, very frustrated with the young mom about why she was in this relationship. And then from their perspective, why she continued to seek out these relationships. Um, and so we did, um, we used, I used this, a tool called a genogram, which is kind of like a family tree with pictures and with a lot more detail. So we did the genogram looking at, you know, going back a couple of generations and, you know, got the, the basics of, you know, males, females, ages, how they were related. And then we looked at, um, and I asked the young mom, I was like, you know, so show me on here out of all the males, in all of these generations, like who, um, how many have been, you know, have you seen be violent or have were violent to you? Um, and, it, and, you know, I had her just kind of put like a red X. And as it turned out, that was all she knew. That was what she had, um, you know, learned by observation and by experience. Um, and then it, it, you know, it evolved into, um, uh, you know, some deeper work that was not just this one person who kept returning to or seeking out a violent relationship. It was, okay, there's all of these generations that this had been going on for. And when we went back a couple generations, that person, the victim in those situations had very few resources to leave or to get out. Um, you know, that there wasn't, there weren't educational resources. There weren't um, you know, it was, it was more of a, um, you know, that the, I remember the grandma saying, you know, my, I knew my place. Um, and so, you know, I looked at, I look at that and I think that that was for that situation. I think that the shift was they stopped viewing this, um, young mom as, you know, the problem or something wrong with her. And kind of the reframe was really, she's the valedictorian, you know, she graduated with honors from this system that she, you know, she, she was very observant and learned well, you know, what, what, you know, in her interpretation is this is the way it's supposed to be. And this is normal. I hear you say something that I've heard again and again on conversations within DASIS that we, we stop we need to, we in a general sense, need to stop blaming victims and see where they are, how they got there, not give excuses, but understand them and help them move forward. Yeah, I agree. And I, you know, I see the same thing too, when I'm working with the offender or the perpetrators, um, you know, look back and historically how they got to where they are I have a greater understanding of how they got to where they are, not to say it's okay and it can continue or it should continue and not to make excuses, but, you know, we all learn, you know, and, and, and the, you know, we inherit 
much more than money, <laughs> you know, right. values and behaviors and, and actions and, um, you know, and that, and we as families make up society and we, everyone in a system has a family. And so we all bring to the table, you know, some of those lessons. And if, so if we don't really do an overhaul um, and just take a hard, honest look at, you know, what have we learned? What am I bringing to and how can I help myself, but how can I help others as well? Great information. Thank you for the inspiration as well. Dr. Barbara Howes, uh, thank you for being a part of this. Is there any particular website or place you'd want to send folks to either find more resources or to connect with you if, if needed or uh, anything like that? Yeah, uh, there's, the, there's the National Domestic Violence Hotline, which is 1-800-799-SAFE, S-A-F-E. Also, digital would be 7233. The 1-800-799-7233. I'd mentioned the Center for Court Innovation um, and the other website that has a lot of resources if you're just learn, wanting to learn more about how, you know, how do we start doing this, you know, interdisciplinary cross-systemic collaborative approach. Um, the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services, they have um, a website that is called the Child Welfare Information Gateway. Those, can, those are all really good resources. All right. Dr. House, thank you so much for being a part of I'm Not in an Abusive Relationship. Thank you for having me. Thank you for listening to I'm Not in an Abusive Relationship. If these stories resonate with you and you need help, please visit our website, dasasmi.org. That's dasasmi.org. Or call our hotline at 800 828 2023. We are here to walk alongside you. Now, if you know someone who might benefit from our show, please share it. Social media, email, simply telling someone about it all help us spread the word and help us to combat domestic and sexual violence. We also welcome financial and volunteer support. That information is on our website. Thank you to the staff, volunteers, and board of directors at Domestic and Sexual Abuse Services. This podcast is produced with the help of a committee of dedicated advocates. Thank you to WBET Radio in Sturgis, Michigan for the use of their studio. This has been a podcast about surviving domestic and sexual violence and a production of Domestic and Sexual Abuse Services of Michigan.